Shabbat Shalom, y'all. I kind of sense a heavy spirit in the room. Is that pretty much correct? I got three communications this week. Two phone calls, an email. And they sort of set up what I want to talk about. I will tell you about the first two and I'll tell you about the third during sharing time. The first one I got was from a guy that I met 25 years ago or more. And he calls me, I would guess, every nine months to a year. Usually when he's got a problem and he talks to me and I talk to him and help him talk through problems and so forth. He actually ran for office. He's a Republican. He's in Virginia. And he was at the rally. And he called me up and said, John, what do you think about this? We had quite a nice conversation. The events in Washington are on everybody's mind right now. You know, appropriately so. And what I want to do is give you perhaps a different perspective on what's going on. The first thing that it's important to understand is the response that everything that is going on right now represents an establishment that is in terror. They are in fear and they are panicked. Doesn't look that way because they've got all the levers of power. But the fact that they needed to cheat tells you right there that things aren't good. I mean, if they were, in fact, the dominant feeling and culture in the country, there would be no need to cheat. They would just get elected. So the fact that they had to cheat tells you one thing. The fact that they're using intimidation instead of persuasion tells you something. If they were confident in what they're doing and they were confident in their message, they would persuade. They would talk to people. They would reason. That's not what's happening. They're slamming down with an iron hand and they are showing everybody who's in charge. Right? That is a fear reaction. This is going to sound weird, but I assure you it's not. And before I go into this, I am not comparing the president to Yeshua. Okay? (laughs) However, what you're seeing in the establishment is exactly the same attitude and reaction that the religious authorities had to Yeshua. Visceral hatred. We have got to get rid of this guy. Kill him. Crucify him. That is a reaction of fear and panic. Because in the case of Scripture, you know, Yeshua was in fact threatening their little empire. Remember, they specifically said, if this guy keeps going, what is going to happen is the Romans are going to come in here and they're going to destroy us and they're going to take our place. I'm not comparing Trump to Yeshua, but what it does tell you is it makes the events of the Gospels very real. Because we're living through and you can see that hateful reaction, that panic, all of that kind of stuff. And now as you read the Gospels, remember this time because what you're seeing is exactly the same thing and now you have the opportunity to understand it at an emotional level instead of just reading it and having it be oh that's just scripture many of you may remember Sierra Moganti I don't know what her name is now it's not Moganti anymore that she's married and has children but anyway she posted a thing on Facebook by the way I'm going off Facebook this week I'm going to quit posting my podcast on Facebook I used to advertise. In other words, they they have this thing where you pay them a couple of bucks and they boost your post. And, you know, I had almost 3,000 followers. Quit paying them 
first off because I don't want to give them any money and now I'm going to quit giving them free content. So that will happen this week. But anyway, what Sierra said is the reason that you cut out a man's tongue is because you're afraid of what he's going to say. So canceling Trump on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, is a fear response. It is not a response from strength. It is a response from fear. Same thing with canceling and demonetizing conservative voices. It is a response of fear. So understand that what you're seeing right now is fear, terror, and panic. It is not, we got this all under control, everything is okay, things are going our way, things are going well, we're doing all the things we want to do, and things are hunky-peachy. That's not what you're seeing, and it's important that you understand that. There's some hopeful signs, some very hopeful signs. The first hopeful sign, as I say, is they're panicked. And by the way, all of the president's allies who are all of a sudden turning around and dumping on him, what that is is, oh, if I want a career or I want a job or I want to be picked up by a think tank or anything like that, I have got to get on the other side of this. Total self-preservation. That's what's going on. Remember, when Yeshua was picked up by the temple authorities, what happened to his disciples? Gone, right? Peter denied him. That's what you're seeing. It's important that you understand what's going on and not look at this as, oh my gosh, things are just terrible. Well, they are terrible, but not that terrible. Now, there's several hopeful signs. One of the things I talked to my friend about when I was on the phone with him is I mentioned to him when Rome fell, that doesn't mean that Italians went away there were still Italians. And he's then said, yeah, but what's Italy done since then? And I wasn't quick enough. What I should have said, which was true, is, you ever heard of the Renaissance? And I was talking to Matthew this morning, and he had this metaphor that he used about a dying star last week when he was talking. And until the star collapses, you don't get the precious metals all you get is iron. But when that star collapses and explodes, that's when you get the gold and the platinum and all of the precious metals that get scattered throughout. So the star has to collapse and explode. And it's the same thing with the Renaissance. The Renaissance was not possible in geriatric Rome, who were just sort of holding on by force. It wasn't possible because the atmosphere wouldn't allow it. Now, don't get me wrong. The people who went through the collapse of Rome were not happy folks. I'm not suggesting, oh, wow, look at we're collapsing. I am not suggesting we're collapsing, but that's something else. Our institutions have all been exposed. The media. Nobody with any sense trusts the media. They don't even trust themselves. They know what they're doing. They know that they're lying, and they have to lie and keep this going. Nobody believes them. The Justice Department... That's now justice in air quotes. The FBI, the universities. Think of all the institutions that have been exposed as rotten and corrupt. Anybody ever read Don Quixote? It was actually a Broadway play, which, by the way, is wonderful. If you want to listen to a really great Broadway play, Man of La Mancha, it's it just superb and stellar. The songs are wonderful and so forth. Look it up on YouTube. 
Anyway, Don Quixote was a Spaniard, old man, and went slightly mad. Imagined himself as a knight errant. And he was going to go through the land, which was much like our land is today, and he was going to right injustice. He was going to fight dragons. He was going to right wrongs. He was going to be a knight errant. As I say, he's an old man and he's slightly daffy. But anyway, there's a vignette in the book where he's making a visor for his helmet. And he makes the visor out of cardboard. And he says, ah, look at that wonderful helmet with a visor. And he takes his sword and whacks it. And of course, the visor collapses. So what he does is he makes the visor again, and the next time he is very careful not to test it. That's what's going on with our institutions. People are looking at all of these institutions that have been built up, and it's like a cardboard visor, and everybody is being very careful not to test them because they know they're rotten. And what the events of this week have brought forward is they have forced people to see the rot. And you've got millions and millions of people who would prefer not to smack the cardboard visor. They would prefer just to quietly go on with their lives and never test the cardboard visor. But what's happened now is it has been exposed as what it is, a cardboard visor that is no protection. That's positive. Not that the institutions are rotten. That's not positive. That's a bad thing. But the fact that people now see it. That's the positive, and it can't be ignored anymore. And by the way, that's one of the sources of the panic that you see in Washington. They have no more moral authority. All they have is force and intimidation. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not a small thing, but it is not something that lasts very long. I loved all your prayers reading from the Psalms. And I'm going to, in fact, be teaching from the Psalms this morning. And I'm going to be first off in Psalm 46. And this is a song of the sons of Korah. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. You all know the story of Korah, right? I think it's very interesting to use the metaphor, though the earth give way, because that's what happened to his dad, is the earth gave way and down he goes. But the point is, even though the earth gives way, our institutions are crumbling. Though the mountains be moved at the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble in the swelling, God is our refuge, therefore we will not fear. I'm not going to read the whole psalm to you, but the end of the psalm in verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, one of the things that's being exposed about the establishment is they are on the side of death. Everything from abortion on down, they are the ones that are clinging to this because child sacrifice has always been a sacrament of Satan. The fact that you are not on the side of any of that indicates that you are on God's side, or let me put it another way, indicates you're not on that side. There are a lot of people who aren't on God's side either, but you are. And the point is, what's being exposed is the lines are being drawn very clearly. And it's becoming obvious. So that is sort of background from my friend's call from Virginia. As I say, he ran for Congress, didn't get in, was at the rally and all that kind of stuff. And that's sort of my reaction to his phone call. Second piece of communication I got was an email. 
from a guy named Cam Cameron. Cam is very devout Christian. He's somebody who does a lot of body work. So his ministry business, both, is called Revive a Back. And what he does is he takes people with bad backs and teaches them exercises. He doesn't do medicine. He's not an acupuncturist, but he teaches them exercises and so forth that relieves their back pain. He cured my back pain years ago. He has taught me everything I know. So people who come up to me and have muscle and back pain, and I sort of try and help them, and I'm usually very successful. Not always, but usually. Everything I learned, I learned from Cam. So anyway, he sent uh, meditation. And I won't read the whole thing. But he's talking about everybody is very careful about what they put into their body, what they eat. Most of you are health nuts, and you won't eat anything that isn't certified as having come straight from the Garden of Eden. I understand that, okay? So you're very careful about what you put in your mouths. And his comment is, are you equally careful about what you put in your head? The point that he is making is your thoughts have physical effects on your body. When you think happy, joyful, cheerful thoughts, your body releases endorphins. Now he's a physical therapy guy, so what he says is when your body releases endorphins, you stand up straight, your joints loosen up, you get to be flexible, you get to be joyful, and you present a very confident and good countenance. So when your thoughts are releasing endorphins into your body, you become as attractive as you possibly can be because you're standing up straight, you're looking good, you got a cheerful look on your face. You may not be smiling, but people can tell that you're cheerful. When you have negative thoughts in your mind, what your body does is releases adrenaline. And both endorphins and adrenalines are part of your makeup. God made them. You need them occasionally. But what adrenaline does is get you in a position to fight or get you in a position to run. And so you sort of hunch down and you get like this and you're looking around like that. I'm exaggerating, obviously. But if your mind is constantly dwelling on negative things, what you have is a constant adrenaline drip into your body. And your body never gets to relax. And he talks in terms of physical stuff, as in your joints compress, you have problems with nerves inside of those compressed joints, so you wind up having various pains because your joints are compressed against the nerves and so forth. And so if you have this constant adrenaline drip, you wind up looking grim, you wind up getting smaller, you wind up with pains, you wind up with all sorts of physical problems in your body, especially if it goes on constantly for a long time. Now, adrenaline is a useful thing in short bursts. That's what gets you ready to fight. That's what gets you ready to take action. So in short bursts, adrenaline is wonderful, but a constant drip is debilitating. So what he's talking about then, and you can use all sorts of scripture, and in fact, I'll give you a couple of scriptures. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So this constant adrenaline drip, what it does is it destroys the shock absorber. That's what the proverb is talking about. Proverbs 15, 13. 
A glad heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is broken. And again, this is not talking about transitory things where you need to take action or something terrible happens and you are reacting to it. It's constant. You have a habit of negative thought. And what is happening now to people who are on our side of God's kingdom is we're looking at everything around us and we are having this down, sad, defeated, angry countenance. And what that does is it gives you this adrenaline drip and you become unattractive and ineffective. Did you hear what I just said? You become ineffective because if you go around with this sad countenance all the time, people aren't going to listen to you. Why would I spend a whole lot of time talking to somebody who's a Debbie Downer? Unless I happen to be ministering to her and trying to get her sorted out, but they're not pleasant to be around. And everybody, all of us, have times in our lives when things don't go well. And the key here is, yeah, You've got a period where you've got to adjust, you've got to think about it, you've got to do some grieving perhaps, but then you've got to move on. And moving on, by the way, is a choice, not something that happens to you automatically. So, one of the things that, if you've got an endorphin drip going, is you have confidence. Now, I'm going to read you again from a psalm, and this one is David, and it's Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And again, I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but any of you all remember Joan, Roman? Some of you have been around for a long time will remember her. God bless Joan. She was kind of a Debbie Downer. You know, she's gone to be with the Lord, and, and I'm sure God has cheered her up tremendously. But she was kind of a Debbie Downer. And, and I would talk to her and, you know, go over to her house and visit with her and say, you got to think and talk positive. You expect me to lie? Because <laughs> things aren't good. So if I speak positive stuff, what I'm doing is lying. No. No, David had real enemies. When he talks about an army encamped around him, he's talking about Philistines with spears and swords and all that kind of stuff. This is not metaphorical in David's case. He has got real enemies. But what David realizes is if he goes, look at all them Philistines. What am I going to do? How am I going to survive? If he does that, he realizes that his countenance will fall. The people around him will lose confidence. He will, in fact, not be able to prevail. So what he does instead is he says, Of whom shall I be afraid? I am on God's side in this. And by the way, there's a great deal of parallel between Philistines and Washington. Seriously, look at the Philistines, look at Washington. And that's one of the wonderful things right now. Things are really clear. That's a good thing. 
because a lot of people who have been sort of going along, getting along, hoping that everything will be okay, if I don't look very hard, if I don't smack the cardboard visor, have discovered that that's not a viable course of action anymore. That's a good thing. So David, with all of his enemies, people who betrayed him, his son betrayed him, all of that he is still able to say, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And that countenance on David is what motivates the people who follow David to do heroic things. Now, in that process, people die. Good people die. One of the things that you will hear very often is nobody gets out of this alive. That's not true. We get out of this alive. Our physical bodies may be destroyed, but we get out of this alive. That's one of the strengths that we have. Now, a blog I read, he's got a picture of some starlet. And the news article is, whatever her name is, poses nude to show off her new boots. The whole idea is, in order to get noticed, she felt that she had to take all of her clothes off and take a picture, and she's got you know, tattoos all up and down her arm, and the news article is glowing. Oh, look at her. Boy, she's really, really cool, and all that kind of stuff. And if you look at your face, what you see is a lost child. And this guy's comment was, this is going to tick some of you off, but a lot of our enemies are not really evil. They're lost children. These are people that have no hope. These are people whose only solace, if you will, is being included in some group. So they'll mutilate their bodies with tattoos. They'll pose nude. They'll sleep around. They'll do all that kind of stuff to avoid being thrown out of the group. That's why they run around looking at their phones all the time. There, there's an internet, means some of you know, maybe not, called FOMO, which is fear of missing out. In other words, they're constantly checking their phones for fear that something is happening that they're missing out on. These are lost children. Now, they won't listen to you until they get desperate. And the reason they won't listen to you is because if they listen to you, they may get thrown out of their group. And they don't see another group out there to latch on to. I was a young man in the 60s, and there was a phrase for those of you who remember the 60s, many of you are not old enough, but it was a time of cults. It was a time of all the free love and crap that was in San Francisco. And what you had is a lot of unattached young people who would get sucked up by, and I'll use the word cult, they weren't always religious, but uh, you know Charles Manson, for example, is, had a cult. He was not a religious guy, it was a cult of personality. And they had a term when they would bring one of these lost children in. And it was called love bombing. What they would do is they would bring this child in, a child, you know, a college student age, young, young person, and they would just gather around him and praise him and give him all sorts of positive stuff and so forth. And it was called love bombing. And what it did is it bonded that kid to the group. Now think about that metaphor. Love 
which is something God wants, and bombing, which is an instrument of war. Think about the contradiction in that. And that, by the way, is what was going on. They were using something God had created in a violent way. And so you have these young people who, whatever group they happen to have attached to, are very attached to it. Patty Hearst would be a poster child for those of you, again, who remember that far back. Some of you don't have that reference. But she was kidnapped, brought into one of these groups, and at the end of it, she wound up helping them rob a bank because of what had happened with them. So understand that as you talk to people, you'll get rejected a lot. And the rejection, again, is from fear. They're afraid. They're lost. They're afraid. The only thing they have is this group, whatever it is, that they happen to be with. And they're very difficult to talk to. And don't get me wrong, they can be very dangerous. But they're not somebody that you have to hate. Now, don't get me wrong, the leaders are. Those people are sold out, they know what they're doing. But a lot of these people are just going along. And so as you look at them, have compassion for them. And that's what Yeshua is talking about, by the way, in today's Gospel reading. What benefit is it to you if you just love your friends? Everybody does that. But if you can make an emotional connection and get to understand why these people are doing what they're doing, you may have a chance. One of the pieces of scripture is the fields are white in the world. It's a target-rich environment for the gospel. The problem is the other side is well defended. One of the other things that's going on right now is if you don't say the right things, you can get canceled, you can get beat up and all that kind of stuff. One of the techniques of totalitarians, there was an article by Baklov Havel, who's, I think, Czech, as the communist empire was being broken up. He, he led the Prague Spring, I think. Everybody in communist country had this sign up on his wall. And I will use one of ours. Black Lives Matter, Science is Truth, you know, you've seen those things. You had people put those signs up and the communists didn't care whether you believed it or not. What they cared about is whether you put the sign up. Because what they were doing was making you speak a lie. Didn't care whether you believed it or not. But if they could make you say it, they realized that it was corrosive to your spirit. In order to get along, if you have got to constantly speak the approved lie, then it is corrosive. And I will bet you a nickel that a lot of these signs that you see up in the yards, you know, Black Lives Matter, Love is Love, all that kind of stuff, are defensive. People have put them up because they don't want to have their house vandalized. Now, some of them, that's what they believe. I understand that. You can't tell from the curb which is which. But what that is, is forcing you to lie because it is corrosive to your spirit. And what that does is enslaves you. That's a technique. And that's what's going on now with the cancel culture. They're trying to force you to say things that you know are not true in order to survive, and that is to wear you down spiritually. So, speaking a number of weeks ago, one of the things I said, which was true, I wouldn't have said it, is everything is information. 
The world was created with information. God spoke and it came into being. Everything is information. You, me, the chair, the computer, it's all the Word of God made solid. And what Satan tries to do is inject bad information to corrupt the creation. That's what a lie is. A lie is bad information. And it's designed to destroy, regardless of why it is spoken. You've got to speak the truth. Because the truth is what sustains everything. And what is happening right now is through intimidation, cancellation, force, all those kinds of things, they are trying to get people to speak lies. Don't do it. And I realize that that has the potential of getting you into trouble. And quite frankly, getting into trouble is something that may be inevitable right now. So at least get into trouble on the right side. Because right now, we have suffered a tactical defeat, but it's not a strategic defeat. Because we have scripture, we know how this all works out, and it is entirely possible that we will live through some very unpleasant times. Very possible. But keep scripture in your head. Say, there's an enemy encamped around me, of who should I be afraid? That's different than, what am I going to do about all those Philistines? And it doesn't deny the existence of Philistines. I'm not telling you to lie to yourself. I'm telling you to use scripture like it was intended to be used. Don't give yourself over to this constant adrenaline drip, which is going to get you physically sick and make you ineffective. 